The thing the architects and indeed the supporters of the doomed Super League project failed to recognise was that the true attraction of the Champions League is its rarity and its history. This week alone, former European champion Celtic take on mighty Real Madrid for the first time in decades, while the other Glasgow Giants Rangers take on another former European champion in Ajax for the first time in a quarter of a century. And soon they'll have their first ever Champions League meeting with Liverpool. These are the memory-making moments, the games that get a whole city buzzing on a match day. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. top tournament requires a top tipping team. Mark O'Hare has been scouring the market for the best bets as always. Mark, let's start with the outrights in terms of the winner market. Manchester City, the clear favourites this season at 3.65, even though they've never won the tournament, even since Pep Guardiola's got there. Paris Saint-Germain at 7, Liverpool at 7.6, Bayern 8.4, you've got Real Madrid, the current holders at 11.5, Barcelona 17, Tottenham 18.5, Chelsea 22, and then a big gap to Juventus at 46. What do you make of that market? What's your overall impression? Yeah, it feels like this could be the year for Manchester City. Um, I mean, it's a competition that's, uh, and a trophy, really, that's been dominated a lot by the Premier League and, and La Liga recently. Well, well, Real Madrid, really, and, and the Premier League, they've, they've won five of the last nine and Premier League clubs have made up six of the last ten finalists as well. And that shouldn't be a huge surprise, considering the money, the power, uh, the budgets available to these Premier League teams, particularly over the rest of Europe, even those big names which you mentioned out as well, bar PSG, really. And I think it is becoming a little bit unbalanced and a bit more towards or sort of tipped towards the Premier League. They boast the biggest squads, have the best coaches. Um, and I know they've only reached one previous final, but they were seconds away against Real Madrid last year. Really should have reached it. You know, they were the better team over two legs. There's um, a lot of should-haves with Manchester <laughs> City, though, aren't there, in the Champions League? There is, but I think that's just uh, the nature of knockout football, really. Um, it's remarkable, really. I think it's what makes Real Madrid's achievements even more spectacular and, you know, miracle makers, really, because they, they shouldn't really, you know, it defies all sort of logic and belief that they can continue to churn out these Champions League victories, particularly last season, where they rode their luck, not just in one or two rounds, but probably three uh, or the knockout rounds, really, even the final to a certain degree as well. But the City, you'd say that Haaland could be the missing piece to the puzzle. Uh, he's been brought in to sort of be the finishing touch to that City squad. You look at sort of key moments against Real Madrid last season, uh, they probably missed uh, a few key opportunities and Haaland probably wouldn't put those, you know, against the post or be saved. He'd probably put them away. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's not a normal season this time around, is it, with the World Cup in between? So, yeah. you know, where we are right now is kind of almost irrelevant. We expect some of the big teams to saunter their way through the group stages and I guess it's come back in February and see where we're at because right now I would say City's first 11 is stronger than last season but actually their squad depth probably isn't quite as strong as last season having let Sterling, Jesus and Sinchenko leave. I know Julian Alvarez has made a wonderful uh, impact already and Calvin Phillips has the ability to be a superb um, sort of uh, fill-in for, for Rodri when required. Um, so Joe Gomez, I don't know a huge amount about him but you know they are the best team on the planet. They will continue to be the best team on the planet but um, 
you know, squad-wise, do they have what's required to go the whole full distance? That's be my only question mark. If everyone's fit and available, they're going to be favourites to win the competition, and rightly so. But um, for me, if if I could have a bet, it would basically be to try and back the Premier League, any one of the Premier League teams, to to lift the trophy because I always like Liverpool. Um, you know, there's just something about them in this competition. I think it's three of the last four finalists they've been now. I know Mane's gone, but Darwin Nunes can contribute. Diaz has now been there since the start of last season. Jota still to come back in. I guess the big requirement is keeping Thiago fit and and uh, looking after that midfield, which is where they've looked a little bit uh, uh, fragile so far. But, um, and then you got Spurs, so I think you know many people will sort of scoff and, and laugh off. And I know Antonio Conte's got a really poor record in the Champions League, but they've got a squad or a strike force really that's uh, as good as anyone in the competition. Um, I think the defence is ever improving under Conte. The midfield has got balance and backup now as well. Um, you know they've seen in recent matches against both Man City and Liverpool that they're more than capable of holding their own against the best two rated teams arguably on the planet so far. So um, you know they've improved in both boxes. Um, were only finalists three years ago as well, so it's not sort of beyond uh, you know expectations for them to have a good run in the in the competition. And you read their price out already. You know what plus was it eight eighteen point zero eighteen point five eighteen point five yeah. That's double the price and more than Liverpool. So are they are they really that sort of uh, far off where Liverpool are at right now? I, I it's a fairly kind us. group as well, isn't it? Really, that Tottenham find themselves in. It is, and I'm not going to be sort of too negative against the the teams in that group. But it is equivalent to a Europa League group, really. You know, you've got Eintracht Frankfurt, Europa League champions, Marseille, who uh, were sort of on the, on the right track, really, on under Sampioli, and they've made a decent start under Igor Tudor, but. You know, there's still probably uh, room to, to work with there. And uh, who's the other team? Is it Sporting Lisbon? Uh, can't yeah. think now. Yeah. yeah, Sporting, who have lost three of their, their key players from last season and have had a really sort of rough start to the campaign as well. And there's talk of infighting there and Ruben Amarim possibly looking for a, a way out there if he doesn't get uh, sort of the backing from the board. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's all set up for Spurs. They will avoid a Premier League team in the last 16, which I think is always a, a big sort of plus for any sort of Premier League team in knockout football in the Champions League. And then you're looking at, what, 17-1 to 1 for a team in, in the quarterfinals. Yeah, that's quite a big price. King of the numbers, tipster and trader Mark Stinchcombe is with us. Stinch, what stands out to you in the outright market? At this stage, I would say nothing at the beginning of the season. Okay, let's move <laughs> I just, I mean, I quickly, very quickly surmise at the beginning of the season, I put up Man City to win the Premier League and the Champions League at 5-1. to one. So City were 11-4 to four to win the Champions League. And now on the sportsbook, they're 9-4. to four, So you've already seen the, the Holland effect there. Yeah. I discussed why they were... Um, Still a bet even at those odds because of their odds basically to qualify from the various rounds. So as a very brief reminder, they were one to five to qualify versus Atletico in the quarterfinals and one to three to qualify versus Real Madrid in the semifinals to get into the final. When you've got those odds to qualify out of those particular ties, the 11 to four is, is too big. Um, but that's gone now and there's not really anybody I want to side with, um, at bigger prices. I think there's a lot of of unknowns for for a lot of teams at, at this stage. Um, Liverpool obviously struggling with injuries, 
Bayern Munich have uh, failed to win their last two games and you think, are they missing that ruthlessness of Lewandowski? Barcelona are almost a completely new attack, so I have to see how they adapt. Chelsea are, are almost a completely new team, I feel, as well. So a lot and a lot of unknowns. And I, I think uh, Mark's advice here is to wait until February, another transfer window, another sort of four or five months of data, seeing where teams are. Yes, of course, there'll be movement in the market, but I don't, unless one of the, the big teams, and we know how the Champions League draw is done now, where the big teams are essentially protected, so it's very hard for them not to get through. Unless a big team is knocked out, you won't see a huge movement in price in those big teams. So I think, yeah, the more shrewd thing to do is actually wait and see where teams are at come February. We remember when Chelsea won the Champions League, they had Frank Lampard in charge at this stage. Yes. Yeah, at the knockout stages, they had Thomas Tuchel. So a lot of things like that could change and suddenly teams could seem a lot more attractive once you have a lot more information to work with. Frank Lampard, who, of course, is notoriously popular on this show. Uh, Despite the fact he's completely disorientated by the fact that Manchester United are starting to look really good, uh, we have managed to get our trader, Emmett O'Keefe, back onto the show. Emmett, what's your initial feeling on the outrights at the moment? Yeah, it's interesting. I'd I'd, uh, I'd definitely agree with Mark's points about the the English teams having an edge. But the kind of... The the team I looked at, just just seemed a bit of of value, is kind of a team that's had... Kind of a Premier League level of spending, Premier League, and that's Barcelona. I guess to kind of firstly make the case for them, um, if you if 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 you look at if you look at their uh, look at their bench at the weekend against Sevilla, it, uh, it included Frank Kessier, Frankie De Jong, Ansu Fati, Ferran Torres, Andreas Christensen, Memphis Depay, and Jordi Alba. Like there were those no hopers. What exactly. a terrible bench. <laughs> exactly. There 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 are very few. I would hazard to say there's no team outside the Premier League that has that kind of depth in squad. And it's like just, I was just, last season, there's, there was, it's a relatively small sample size, but there is some evidence that Xavi is potentially a really good young coach. Like in the second half of last season, Barcelona were clearly the best team in La Liga on the numbers and in terms of points accrued. They battered Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. And then you're adding, you're adding, adding to that squad. You're at, like you're adding world class players. I think Jules, like if, if anyone saw the highlights of Jules Kunde at the weekend against Sevilla, true ball, true ball for Lewandowski, just outstanding. He is rare passing ability for centre back. I think you receive a world world class player coming in centre half. Christensen isn't world class, but I think he's he, he's a very good addition. So a huge 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 upgrade in defence. Upgrade the, 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 you're going from Aubameyang to Lewandowski. Massive upgrade there, and then like just from from manager's point of view, if you could you could pick whoever's in form from Rafinha, to, uh, to Dembele, Ansu Fati, and Ferran Torres, like that is just they're great. They're they're great options to have. There are there, there are some unknowns. How the team will gel, how it'll all come together. Maybe kind of a bit of a. I, when it comes to knock, I'd say is I wouldn't want to be relying on uh, Sergio Busquets to stop the counter attacks against the likes of Liverpool and PSG. But just at the price they're at, which is we're actually bottom price in the market in the sports book. We're ducking them. We're twelve to one, but you can get like seventeen point zero on the exchange. I think, I think there, there, there's enough up, up, upside in Barcelona. To, I think to take a chance at that price. And just for pricing point of view, I looked at it outside of Man City. If Barcelona played any team in Europe over two legs, 
I'd probably make them favourites. I think they're, I, I, I think I, I, I have far more faith in them than I have in PSG. I think, that, I think as as outlined, that they're definitely question marks about Bayern Munich. I think they have a, they're just a better team than Bayern Munich. And I think and, and I, would, I would definitely back them over two legs against 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 Real Madrid also. So yeah, they're, Barcelona would be my outright fancy. So would you expect them to win their group then? Because they've got a, a what looks a really tough group. They've got Inter, they've got Bayern, they've got Victoria Pilsenia, who are probably looking at it thinking, thanks guys for that group. Um, are you expecting them to top that group then? All about price, really. I just like, I think like, they're yeah, they're seven to four, two seven to four, two to one to top the group. I'd make them close to closer to even. I'd be slight favourites against Bayern Munich. Like there's 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 definitely value in that. And like again, I know probably some of the listeners are thinking like. Barcelona, like what the obviously the kind of the shenanigans that went on this summer. We're not here to make kind of a judgment on cowboy capitalism. We're here to kind of see, 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 <laughs> no, see let's who, do it. It's see, an who the, see who the players are on the pitch and, and what, what you can argue with the method Barcelona ha, ha, have have done to recruit those players. The players they have at their disposal are outstanding. Well, elsewhere, Erling Haaland's unsurprisingly the clear favourite in the top scorer market at 3.75 and yes I'm having to retrain my brain and call him Haaland seeing as that's now what he's calling himself uh, now he's come uh, to England and he's going to be there for a while he could do some serious damage you would think in the group stage Stinch how do you attack the top scorer market with the outrights when you've got such a a clear favourite, does it inflate everybody else? And you think, well, it maybe gives you some prices to attack somewhere else? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got Erlen Haaland there at 3.75. He's he's eating up 27% of the market there. So that immediately makes you look elsewhere because you can back players each way to finish in. I think, I believe it's the top, the, the top four. Uh, yeah, top four. So you can get you get in four places there for to attack much bigger prices. I mean, in previous seasons, it'd be unheard of to get the likes of Mbappe, Lewandowski, Messi, Neymar at double figure prices. So I definitely think there's some scope for for backing some of these players. Um, so that's the first point. And the second point is you really want to be backing somebody that's going to go deep in the competition, or you think will go deep in the competition. So as much as you might say, I don't know, somebody like. Uh, a, a really good goal scorer. I don't know. Maybe um, Unkunku at Leipzig. He's up there at sixty to one. Just how deep are Leipzig going to go? Yeah. Are they going to make quarters or semi-finals? So that that's the only kind of reservation. So yeah, I would focus on. Um, you mean you, is, you can use the outright winner prices as a guide. So I would be looking at the likes of right. Who can I back from PSG, Liverpool, Bayern, Real Madrid, etc. And then I would try and focus on a player that is going to have a bigger percentage of goals compared to his teammates so for example at PSG I think you've got a bit of worry there that Mbappe, Messi and Neymar will share the goals similar thing maybe with Spurs with um, uh, Son and Kane uh, Liverpool with maybe Salah, Diaz, Nunes etc so for the one that kind of really stands out for me is is Lewandowski at 12 to 1 and it kind of goes on the back of what Emmett was saying uh, there about Barcelona so if you didn't if you didn't fancy Barcelona but you thought they might go deep maybe Lewandowski is the way to go I mean he's already got five goals in four games so it looks like he's fitted in immediately at Barcelona could have got trendy. a hat-trick against Sevilla at the weekend he got tons of chances in that game he looks really sharp yeah, and the Champions League record is incredible. 33 goals in his last 26 games. Second in this market last season. So you get your each way payout there. Uh, he won this three seasons ago. Um, and, and yeah, he's, a, he's an elite striker, isn't he? So yeah, 
Lewandowski would be the one I'd look at, twelve to one. So you're looking at sort of three to one for a place. And and if Barcelona get out of their group, I think the group will be a bit harder than maybe maybe Emmett thinks. So that's what's um, sort of stopping me from from uh, uh, backing him. But uh, if you're confident about Barcelona, then yeah, I think Lewandowski is a, a no-brainer at the odds. Before we move to the games themselves, let's broaden the outright view to a few other markets. Emmett, what appeals to you in those outrights beyond uh, the kind of top goal scorer and the overall winner? Yeah, so the kind of the angles here, I'm just kind of t- taking on a couple of the English teams that I, 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 I feel are a bit out of form. And I think there's good alternatives to back them against. So I think Napoli at the moment are, 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 are around 6-1 to one to, to, to win Group A. And I'll kind of I'll go into this further in the podcast, but I think as the listeners will know, Liverpool have a massive in- injury crisis at the moment, and we aren't just Liverpool's price to win that group. I think is based off how good a team they were last season, rather than rather than, than the kind of the team the team we see now. Just a couple of num- numbers to back that up. Liverpool conceded over one point two five expected goals ten times in thirty eight league matches last year, so red one in every four. This season, they've conceded over 1.25 xG four times in their first six matches. So your team, your team, like this Liverpool team, is being doesn't have the same control in midfield, and teams are really hurt them on the counter attack. And it's not just good teams; it's teams like, like it's teams like Fulham, Everton. Fulham, Everton. Exactly. It's not not the elite teams anymore. So I think that. And then they're coming up against the Napoli team with the best expected goal stats in Serie A this season. It was a real eye-opener how how comfortably they beat a good Lazio team in the Stadio Olimpico last weekend. I think if you're saying do in, in the games against Liverpool, do Napoli have the attacking weapons to hurt Liverpool on the counter-attack? The answer is unquestionably yes. Victor Osman is potentially the breakout striker in Europe this year. Their um, their Georgian winger Kavara Shalia has made a made a made a very promising start, and this looks a very good Napoli team. I think just with Liverpool's current issues, I think six, six to one is a pretty fair price. And I'll stick with kind of with the, the other angle is just is uh, is to is to oppose Chelsea with AC Milan. So AC Milan to, to win that group are currently around kind of a three. Three to one, ten to three, and you can kind of the, the, the angle here is just simply. I think Chelsea aren't a team to be trusted at the moment uh, at kind of very short prices. They were very, very fortunate to beat West Ham at the weekend. If you even take out the Jared Bowen kind of VAR controversy at home game against West Ham, the expected expected goals were basically level, and it's just everything about Chelsea suggests this team is more of a. Like it is, I would say, even slightly below the kind of top four teams at the, at, at the moment. And if 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 they kind of maybe throughout the season they might improve, Aubameyang might get more out of um, sorry, Tuchel might get more out of Aubameyang, uh, Fofana might improve their defence, Kante comes back, things might improve as the season goes on. But for for the short term, they're they're a team I want to take on. I think Milan clearly don't have the depth of quality that Chelsea have, but they're I think they're just a very solid proposition in the sense that. Unlike a lot of the Serie A teams, they haven't lost most of their best players this summer. They haven't ever really lost any, any any of their best players. Really, they brought in Charlotte de Kettler, as it's pronounced. But I think he's he's a very he's nailing the pronunciations. Today. I, I like Farad Shalia, just you know, yeah, as, as if he was Georgian. Georgian. Wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, to do my best here. The 
I think yeah, Milan in the second, obviously won Serie A last season, but it wasn't just that in the second half last season. They had the best kind of expected goal statistics. They really improved in the second half of last season just to start well again this year. And again, unlike a lot of the kind of the, the, the kind of Serie A teams, like they, they have a real, I think, potentially world-class player. Just if anyone if anyone didn't see that the weekend, we were looking back at uh, Rafael Leao's highlights the weekend. He looks a player that... Unfortunately, I don't think we'll stick around in Serie A for too long. So I think he's a, I think he's a potentially hundred million pound player. I think this guy's really, really outstanding. And in the games, if Milan are struggling, he has the ability to really kind of create quality moments from nothing. So for, for all the reasons said, I just think think Milan, if you can get three to one or better, are fairly overpriced for the group. And yeah, if anyone's thinking of dreaming big, if you if you've a, a treble of Barcelona, Napoli. And uh, AC Milan to win their groups at kind of triple figure price. I think that's 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 definitely worth a five or a tenner. Mark, what appeals to you just beyond those top scorer and winner markets? Um, yeah, I, I kind of uh, agree about Milan. I had that down as as one of my sort of group winners. Um, I think there's real potential. We talk about maybe leaving the outrights until February and sort of reassessing where teams are are then, but it means that right now we can sort of attack the groups and oppose some of these teams that we do feel are potentially overrated or potentially an underrated team. So, um, yeah, I thought um, I thought Porto uh, have a potential to sort of upset the odds in Group B. Um, I think Atletico are slightly overrated. Um, they've stood still a bit for me over the last 12 months. Uh, financial pressures uh, hurting their recruitment. So filling out the squad's been, been slow. Um, Simone's sort of got a, a, a team which are... Um, struggling to sort of get going defensively this season. They're also missing a number of players at the minute, uh, key players and key positions too. So they were second best in their first game against Porto last season and, and really need to sort of turn it out on the final match of the match day to sort of uh, to pull it through. So I thought Porto are quite interesting then. I know they've had some key departures, but it's, it's almost an investment in Sergio Conceição as a, as a coach. I think he's very smart, very savvy. They're he's the star, isn't organized. he, really? Oh, he is. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised he's still there, actually. But I um, uh, expect him to move to Italian football within the next couple of years. But yeah, I mean, they uh, the sort of uh, opposition in that group are Leverkusen, as you know, Kevin, who've had a, a horrendous start, really. They've kept the squad together. And I think we all expected them to go really, really well, particularly with the top four, if not better. Um, but they've had a rotten start. And uh, they're also Club Bruges as well, who've lost their best player. So uh, a new coach, new system over the past six months as well. So it could be a season of transition for them. So Porto, could be lively outsiders in that group to potentially top it. Um, the only other one I was going to mention is Group H. Really, um, there's if there's a market for the to, uh, for the to qualify, um, I'd be looking at Benfica actually at uh, at around about two to one or bigger. Um, they're in the group with uh, Juventus and who is the other team? PSG, obviously. Yeah, Paris. Yeah. Um, so PSG, we expect to, to sort of hose up there. I think they're, they're moving in a nice direction under Christophe Galtier. Um, Juventus, though, I'm just happy to oppose them in any way possible at the minute. Um, I think their top priority this season might be to try and win back the Scudetto, but I think even that's going to be on beyond their reach. They, they've started really sort of really poorly, um, just really lacklustre. Um, I know they made some big signings, but most of them are injured. Di Maria came back at the weekend, injured again. Um, they've lost in the last 16 and the last three years against Villarreal, Porto and Lyon. So... They've come up short in big games uh, against sort of middling European opposition. So there's no reason why Benfica can't bloody their nose. They qualified through a group last season despite having a you know, a chaotic campaign where they were nowhere near the sort of Benfica we've come to expect. Now, Darwin Nunes has gone, but Gonzalo Ramos has, has led the line really well so far this season. They look to have found their, their mojo again and, and Roger Smith is the, is the head coach there who's kind of returned a bit of order to the team. They started really well domestically, looked really strong in the qualifiers. 
Um, I wouldn't underestimate them, to be honest. I think there's there's more than a good enough squad there to go to Turin in particular and put on a performance. Um, we've seen them sort of surprise uh, against the odds last season. So um, just think Juve are being slightly overrated in that group. And that might be, uh, I think the odds suggest they've got about 80% to qualify, 80% chance to qualify. And that, and that just feels a bit over the top, really. I think Benfica can be competitive. Stinch, any angles there that we haven't seen so far? No, no, I agree with both of the first two that Emmett said. Liverpool two to five and Chelsea one to three look look shocking prices to, to win the group. Yeah, generally last few seasons I would be like making an accumulator of of these teams because the Champions League generally, as I said before, like it's it's made the group stages are made for the top teams are all well protected but I just think there's there's so much uh, unknowns out there about a lot of these teams so when I was looking down my gut feel was that some of these odds are just far too short and and yeah it's definitely worth trying to side with the teams uh, the other teams in the group if you can't do it via the match bet and then yeah in, in the group odds because um, you know You've got, you've still got the safety net. If they have one or two bad games, they can still go on and win the group because they've got four to recover from. Unlike a World Cup, where if you have one bad game, you're really, you're really against the walls trying to win that group. So yeah, just echo what the lads have already said. This football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular Bet Builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.com. Org. For the first time since 1980, Celtic take on Real Madrid in European competition. Real, the defending champions, they've made a flawless start to the season, already won the UEFA Super Cup. They've won all of their La Liga games so far. Real are 1.61 to take three points, which seems, if anything, a touch generous to me. But Mark, how much... Do we factor in the parkhead atmosphere? <laughs> I thought that was coming. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Um, it's what you think of, though, isn't it? Because, oh, you know, there is evidence. It's like the Anfield factor. I know it might be a lazy comparison, but we do see time and time again Celtic have overperformed maybe in games. Yeah, 100%. It definitely is something to bear in mind. And I think particularly coming into this game, uh, this is a Celtic team back in the group stage for the first time in five years. At home to the defending champions, fresh off a 4-0 mauling of their biggest rivals, Rangers, on Saturday. So they are going to be absolutely pumped in the stands for this game. So uh, the atmosphere is going to be electric. Uh, really looking forward to the game. Uh, I couldn't believe it, actually. You've already sort of reeled it out. But uh, this is their first meeting since 1980. Um, sort of two of the sort of giants of the European scene. So... Um, but yeah, you'd, you'd say that Real Madrid are, are well accustomed to dealing with frenzied atmospheres. You know, they are the giants of the game, really. So um, I don't expect them to have too many problems. But, you know, we've seen Barcelona and Milan tumble when they've been at the top of their game at Parkhead. So, uh, and look, Real Madrid have had their issues at the group stage in previous key seasons. Since 2018, they've lost to Sheriff, Shakhtar and Seska Moscow. So they can have uh, those off moments. And I just think they'll be good enough for a result here. Um but I do think Celtic can cause some problems. Um, the way Ange Postacoglu's team play, they're very front foot, high energy. They're quick, lots of incisive passing, use the flanks really well, force corners, and they're decent from set pieces too. So they will have opportunities here to hurt hurt Real Madrid. It's just whether they can be clinical enough to take them and, and strong enough defensively to keep 
Madrid out and, and look, Madrid are very good going forward. We know that. But uh, if you look at their performances so far this season in La Liga, um, their efforts, particularly against uh, Espanyol, Celta and Almeria away from home, they've given up chances. Um, they've yeah. actually allowed over one expected goals on average away from home. They gave up an average of 12 shots per game away, 7.75 shots in the box and four shots on target. So by the law of averages in terms of football statistics and data, they tend to concede goals when you consider when you concede that amount of uh, opportunities, really. And so, yeah, I think Celtic have got a high chance of scoring here. Real Madrid have yet to keep a clean sheet, zero from four, but they have one or four. So I agree. I think the price on Madrid is, is nice, but um, I'm going to boost it to 3.15 by backing Real Madrid to win and both teams to score. It's banked in all four of their La Liga games so far. Um, despite those kind of critical defensive numbers, it's hard to really argue with a team. They've got Vinny Jr. and Benzema up front, dovetailing brilliantly already, scoring goals uh, consistently um, and they've already racked up well over 80 shots in La Liga too so it's not like they're not um, sort of getting forward and getting into decent opportunities so um, yeah I expect Real Madrid to win but I'd add in both teams to score for a nice leap because I think Celtic can cause them problems in the transitions. Manchester City start their campaign away to Sevilla, who have made a very worrying start to the season. They were swept aside by Barcelona at the weekend. It was 3-0. It could have been 6-0, quite frankly. Barcelona made lots of chances in that game. City are 1.41 to take the win. So, Emmett, what's the best angle of attack? Yeah, no, City let me down at the weekend. I was kind of very, very sweet in them. And and I'd back them on the handicap against Aston Villa, but I'm prepared to kind of go with the same bet here against a Sevilla team who I think will probably be even a kind of even less of a challenge than uh, Aston Villa were Aston Villa were at the weekend. Just for those who haven't, haven't been following, Sevilla are 16th in Spain on expected goal difference, and as as you said, they're they're actually fortunate to only only be beaten three 0 by Barcelona. It could easily have been five or six 0 as the kind of expected goals numbers indicated. Kind of, we mentioned on previous podcasts that Sevilla would have Sevilla heavily relied on their defense last year. They're the best defensive record defensive record in the Liga, but then sold their two best centre halves in Jules Kunde and Diego Carlos and tried to kind of in typical Sevilla fashion to kind of replace them on the cheap. And while that may work in the kind of maybe longer term at the moment, at the moment it, it isn't. And even if City do even if City do rotate the team, maybe you might see. Uh, Julian Alvarez come in for Haaland and might see Jack Grealish get a start I don't think City will be too much weakened and I think Sevilla are just in such dire dire straits and are just I think are, are, are a team that are just nowhere near City's level um, I think I just and, and, and the City minus one in the handicap is currently priced at, at uh, over evens I think that's that's just a bet I think again this is especially if, if City get the first goal I think I think, I think we'll probably see a repeat of the kind of performance that Barcelona did to Sevilla at the weekend so Man City minus one is uh, the way I'd look here Worth bearing in mind, you can get a £5 free bet by staking a £5 bet builder on Sevilla versus Manchester City. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, see gambleaware.org. So we're going to try and help you uh, with a little bet builder of our own. Uh, Stinch, you go first, because when we when this went round the WhatsApp group before the show, uh, I've never seen Stinch and Mark O'Hare move so quickly. It was like a game show. So Stinch, you get first dibs on this one. Yeah, well, I think we all think it's going to be a very one-sided game. So it's to try and find something that is going to bring that to the to the forefront, essentially. And, you know, there's, it's hard to look past the, the main man at the moment, the absolute cheat code that is uh, Erling Haaland. Um, so obviously, 
he's been bought probably to try and finally win that Champions League. I was kind of surprised to see he started against Villa. Thought maybe he might have been benched, but um, I would be shocked if he doesn't start here. You know, severe away is definitely no gimme. Certainly one I don't think they can afford to to not be playing him. So yeah, just trying to find obviously a bet on him to score basically um he's only he's nearly he's only four to seven or just slightly bigger at 1.6 not the not the nicest of fraction um but yeah he's, he's obviously a short price to score so i was like well is there anything you know wh- what can we do to make that a bit more attractive you can actually back him to score or assist and it only goes down to two to five now i know that might not be the most uh, exciting of price to to back but he's actually got 16 assists in the last two seasons and he's already got one for man city so the fact that he's such that focal point if Sevilla end up marking him a bit closer i wouldn't be surprised if he gives a flick on or you know uh, lays the ball off to somebody to to score so i just think having him to score or assist making a key a key um, effort in terms of scoring a goal, which I think is 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 brilliant, considering the fact we all know his numbers are absolutely insane in terms of scoring goals. And one of the things he does really well, actually, is when he pulls wide sometimes, which he doesn't do a lot, but when he does it, he's such a powerful runner that he can whip that ball across the face of goal. I've seen him do that a few times for Borussia Dortmund. Mark, what did you have for us? Just uh, piggybacking on what Emmett said, really. I'm all in on City to win here as well. Um, if I had to make one sort of prediction about Sevilla, it would be that Julian Lopetegui will be gone by Christmas. Um, there's already a uh, big, big pressure building on him. Fans are unhappy with the style of play. Obviously, results have been poor, winless and four. Losing three of those games, dismantled by Barca, but also kind of outplayed for long periods against Almeria, newly promoted Almeria and Osasuna already this season. And they've got problems as well. You know, Emmett's talked about the, the key players departing in defence, but Karim Rekic is injured, which means they're looking at a makeshift centre-half partnership coming into this game of Nianzu and Gudeli as well. So that would be a serious concern. So, yeah, Man City. And Emmett, they've taken all the obscure bets. So which one did you want to come up with? Yeah, yeah lastly, I'll go for it. Probably a fairly obvious one as well. And Kevin, Bruyne, Kevin De Bruyne to have an assist. It's priced at 6-4 to four here, but actually De Bruyne has four assists in his first five Premier League matches and we've already seen the kind of understanding he has with uh, Erling Haaland just that if um, for that uh, that cross the weekend against Asphalt for Haaland was just incredible as as Jamie Carragher said there's world class level and there's kind of the best in the world I think that's that's what De Bruyne is in, in, in terms of delivery from those wide positions and so yeah I think that looks a fair price in kind of game City should dominate and just to our outline Mark Stenchcombe's point about to score assist. If you put a bet builder of City to win, Haaland to score, and De Bruyne to have an assist, that's only three to one. Whereas as if you do Man City to win, De Bruyne to have an assist, and Haaland to score an assist, that, that, that comes in around eleven to four. So you're losing very little by putting in to score assist. So I would I would definitely recommend uh, doing that for anyone who's putting together a bet builder. Fascinating game in Austria as Salzburg faced Milan, who won the derby against Inter at the weekend and looked very good doing it. Milan, the 2.14 favourites to win this one. Mark, Salzburg are quite an interesting team, aren't they? Because they've lost some really important players. Aronson's gone to Leeds. Adiemi went to Dortmund. They managed to keep Benjamin Sheshko, but he's going to go next summer. But they're just used to that, aren't they? That's what they do. They develop talent and they sell it on. Yeah, exactly. Um, retooling again over the summer. I think they lost 10 players, um, all moving on sort of bigger and better things, which is understandable. That's the conveyor belt that Salzburg deal in. But they're a team that still packs plenty of punch, really. And I think this is 
a potential banana skin for Milan if they don't take this game seriously. And I think particularly off the back of quite an emotional and physical fixture against Inter, um, you know, they have to be on it from the off here because uh, Salzburg, as they proved last season at home in Austria, can be a force to be reckoned with. And you mentioned Sesco. Uh, they've also got Okafor and Fernando have started the season really brightly as well. So they're a team that's got a lot going forward, go, a lot going for them in forward areas. Um, I expect them to cause problems to most teams who visit them in Austria. Obviously, a very highly rated coach who prefers to play very front foot, exciting, pressing football. Their scoring record is, is pretty ridiculous. I know it's across all competitions and domestically they're, they're huge favourites to win every game. But even still, uh, I look back to last season and, and the sort of problems they caused, not just uh, in uh, what was quite a weak group of Sevilla, Lille and Wolfsburg, but against Bayern Munich um, in both legs, particularly at the start of games. They went on the offensive in both and caused massive problems. So, you know, their games do tend to be kind of basketball style in Europe. They've recorded just one clean sheet in 25 Champions League games. 21 of those though, featured both teams scoring. And I think that's the route I was sort of heading down to begin with. And you can just top it up by adding over two and a half goals into the equation. Milan are obviously the better team. Um, but I just uh, I look at the centre-half partnership of Kalulu and Tamori. That's probably the strong point. But uh, their fullbacks very, very attack-minded in Calabria and Hernandez. And they can leave them a little bit loose and, and open. And we've seen Inter, we've seen Udinese, we've seen Atalanta all create plenty of chances against this Milan team. There's uh, the fact that Calabria and Hernandez do bomb forward, but so much pressure on Benacer and Tonali in central midfield. And, you know, that's probably where Milan needs to be a little bit more pragmatic in, in occasions like this. But um, I think they've just got so much quality themselves going forward. Uh, Emmett's already eulogised about Rafael Leal, sort of uh, would uh, say exactly the same, really. He's just a wonderful yeah. player who's made a consistently big impact now for Milan for quite some time. I think he was Serie A player of the year last season, wasn't he, I think? Which yeah, is, and it, you know, hugely tremendous. impressive. Tremendous achievement for a guy who, when I came to the league first, I was sceptical about because he was sort of drifting in and out of games, but he's really added consistency to it. He's matured a huge amount too. And Giroud's been making an impact. Charles de Ketelaire has been a really exciting signing. You've got Messias there as well to step up. Uh, there's plenty of options for Milan going forward. So I fully expect them to score here. They're worthy favourites. Of course they are, but just wary of, of Salzburg, particularly in a first game uh, in Austria. Um, you know They'll be gunning for this. So yeah, expecting a really good game. Over to enough goals here is 1.78 on the exchange, which I felt was a touch too big. So happy to go with the goals. Yeah, sounds good to me. 2021 champions Chelsea uh, have had a lot of changes since they won that. Uh, they go to Dinamo Zagreb. Chelsea 1.5 to win that one. Emmett, we've talked about Chelsea and their instability. 1.5 away from home. I know it's Dinamo Zagreb who are expected to be maybe the weakest team in the group, but that's not a massively attractive price, is it? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I wouldn't... I'd kind of... I just about hesitate to kind of call give call Dynamo Zagreb a bet, but I think if anyone's putting on an accumulator this week, I think are definitely Chelsea or teams to avoid. The, I've I've already kind of outlined their kind of we've talked about the kind of the struggles they've had this season, but it's kind of worth mentioning, like the, the price they are against Dynamo Zagreb is very similar to the price they were away at Leeds and away at Southampton, but and, and they're beaten both those matches undeservedly and deservedly beaten. I think Dynamo Zagreb maybe. Uh, in terms of the, the, the amount of the, the kind of the overall quality that leads a standard, but I think they're they're probably a similar level of team. And if kind of if and as as we've kind of said, Chelsea are kind of a new team and they're kind of maybe kind of taking time to adapt. I think Dynamo's are grab at home could kind of ex exploiting those vulnerabilities. So yeah, I, I've no uh, Chelsea at kind of one to two makes make, make zero appeal to me. To Wednesday then, Ajax take on Rangers in a battle of old school European powers. Ajax the hosts, 1.49. 
Mark, it's a weird one, this, isn't it? Because Rangers, as you mentioned, a really difficult game for them at the weekend that went very, very badly. They were terrible at Union Saint-Gilloise and lost that game, but turned it around at Ibrox. And yet when they went to PSV, rode their luck a little bit, a couple of really big saves, but that was an impressive result. And you look at their Europa League results last season, went to Dortmund and performed ever so well, managed to knock out Leipzig in the semi-finals. That was against the odds. So you kind of underestimate them at your peril. And it's a much changed Ajax team that's lost a lot of quality. Yeah, um, agree with all of that. And, you know, it's never recommended just to rip up your plans after after one game and, and overreact to something, uh, you know, perils of small samples. But, you know, being very reactionary to what I saw Saturday, I was, I was quite concerned to sort of pinpoint this match as one I wanted to target, really, because I think Rangers are slightly underrated here. And I think they've got the ability to go to Amsterdam and, and be competitive. Um, so I'm going to commit to it, but it's Rangers plus one and a quarter on the Asian handicap. It means that even if they lose by one goal, we still make a half stakes profit. If they draw or win, we get paid out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the original viewpoint was just to oppose Ajax, particularly early in the season from all those changes. And, you know, Rangers have thrived, as you said, in, in European competition. The weekend was a nightmare. Almost everything that went wrong did go wrong. McLaughlin in goal is coming under question. He might be replaced here. But uh, Van Bronckhorst was critical, said his players just simply weren't ready for the challenge. So I would expect some sort of backlash for them here. And they'll, they'll take huge confidence from going to Eindhoven and putting on a really decent, tactically sound showing. Um, I know they were slightly fortunate, but still, they were very competitive. They were four to one shots going away to Eindhoven. You think PSV and, and Ajax are similarly rated. Ajax clearly being the slightly better team. That's four to one. So that's 5.0. There's 6.8 to go to Ajax. And that's a, a big difference for me mm. for an Ajax team who, as you say, are going for a rebuild. It's the first time in five years without Ten Hag at the helm. They've I think that's Alain. massive, by the way. I think obviously people will look at, oh, they've lost Anthony, they've lost Alaire, they've lost Lisandro Martinez. I think the gap between Ten Hag and Schroeder is enormous. I was deeply unimpressed with Schroeder in Germany at the helm of Hoffenheim. I wonder whether he is a very, very good assistant, not necessarily a great first-team guy. So I guess we'll see. But I do think that is a really significant change. Yeah, and they were shredded by PSV in the, in the sort of warm up the Super Cup to the start of the season. They've recovered a little bit recently, but there's been very hit and miss for Ajax. And, you know, they've won the games comfortably, they're expected to, but they've had had some decent tests. And I thought if you put Rangers into the, the Eredivisie, they're not going to be finishing outside the top four. So um, this is a, a big test. You mentioned those players, Chucking, Gravenbush, Anana, Mazuri, um, Talifico, they've all gone. So you start seven basically starters from last season, they've all gone this summer. That's a big, big rebuild. And I just think Rangers can be competitive here. Uh, I mentioned the handicap start. Just another one I'd, I'd look at as well. James Tavernier is 11-2 any time here. Um, he scored seven in his last nine European appearances, if you exclude qualifiers. He was Rangers' top scorer in the Europa League run last year on penalties, on free kicks, gets into the box, capable of scoring from distance too. Uh, I don't rate this Ajax defence right now either. So expecting him to bomb forward and get in good positions, I just think 11-2 any time is, is quite big, despite him being a right back. So yeah, I'm sort of uh, quite confident about Rangers being competitive here, but um, just a bit wary of what we saw at the weekend. <laughs> Yeah, the market never seems to have caught up with Tavernier at all. He could get 100 goals and I think he'd still be those kind of odds. It's strange that he's uh, not really been, been recognised as the goal scorer that he is. Tottenham kick off their campaign against Marseille. Spurs the 1.54 favourite. Stinch, that feels about right against a Marseille team that still... I know they made an OK start, but they've still got a fair few issues, I think. 
I was going to say I can't. I think the Spurs price is a bit short, to be honest. Um, okay. I know, yeah, I know they've won four. Uh, maybe it's more me opposing Spurs than being pro Marseille, but I do think Marseille do have some nice points. But I'll come on to that. But yeah, I know Spurs have won four and drawn two, but I feel like they they've given the opposition chances in all of their matches. Um, they conceded nearly 15 shots per game, and to kind of put that into context, Liverpool conceding nine, Arsenal eight, Man City six. So it just kind of shows you that. That's not really sustainable in order to keep winning these football matches or at least remain unbeaten. Um, Spurs are a bigger price v v Fulham. <laughs> are, are Fulham better than Marseille? <laughs> I think I would bat Marseille if they were both priced up. If you had a, a mythical match bet Marseille and Fulham and you could get Marseille at 13 to 8, I think I'd snap your hands off on that. Um, yeah, I think Marseille have started quite well under Igor Tudor uh, with five wins in a draw in the opening six games. And there was some... I don't think Marseille fans were convinced by Igor Tudor uh, as an well, appointment. They booed him before the first game even started. <laughs> exactly. He also dropped Dimitri Payet, which is a massive statement to come in and do. But I think he's quiet, quietened those fans with, with this start. And... I quite like some of the business they've done in the transfer window in Alexis Sanchez, Luis Suarez, not that Luis Suarez, uh, Veratu, Eric Bailly, Nuno Tavares, Paulo Lopez. Uh, some people might turn their noses up in that, you know, some of those players, obviously ex-Premier League, but this, you know, it's it's all about systems at the end of the day and, you know, Sanchez went away and won a Serie A title. I know he wasn't first choice or whatever, but he's already started quite well for Marseille. Um, and yeah, I, so I just think Marseille plus 1.25 on the Asian handicap uh, around about 1.85 is the way to go. Like the only way the bet will lose is if Spurs win by two or more goals. And so even if Spurs win by one goal, you'd still win half your stake. And I just think that, uh, yeah, I just think the Spurs price is, is too short and there's, there's plenty of juice in this, in this Marseille price. And, you know, Mar- this is a group we've discussed already that it's, it's almost wide open after Tottenham. So I think Marseille will be happy to to go there and at worst except if you offered it if you offered them a narrow defeat now they might even accept that because you know goal difference might actually come down I know it's on head to head but um, that goal difference might actually play a small part at the end of the day so yeah I really liked Igor Tudor in Syria as as a manager you yeah. know kind of ripped up ripped up the playbook of you know he's a defender yet his teams don't play in a defensive manner as such so yeah I, I quite like it so I, I'm I'm as I say I just think Spurs are a bit underpriced here well, even more excited about that game than it was before uh one of the best games of the week what we think uh, is napoli against liverpool napoli impressive winners at lazio at the weekend in the maurizio sarri derby liverpool as we've already outlined lots of injury problems emmett what's your view on this one because napoli seem to be in better shape but of course liverpool have world-class players Absolutely. I, I kind of uh, just when pricing this up and given Liverpool's recent form, I felt Napoli were closer to probably kind of a nine to four to two to one chance here. And you're getting close to kind of get, getting close to kind of three to one on the exchange in Napoli, which just which just feels too big given Liverpool's kind of defensive issues. Um, Joel Matter will probably come back, which I think will help their defensive issues. Joe Gomez does look the player a few years ago where I thought he was going to be kind of an England, England mainstay. Um, I think we, we probably might see Artur get a start, given I think with uh, Fabinho, Jordan Henderson, and Thiago absent. I haven't seen that much of Artur in previous years, but my impression here is this is kind of very much a 
a stopgap signing and our, our tour is kind of a poor man's Tiago at best. He, yes, yeah. he is the flat pack Tiago. Tiago's kind of a bespoke, wonderful piece of furniture that you went and spent many, many pounds on and said, right, I want this, I want this, I want this. And then they deliver it and you go, oh, this is beautiful. This is exactly what I wanted. Our tour is kind of, we need this. Where can we get it? This shop has got it in a flat pack. Right, let's bring it home and we'll make it. That's kind of what you're looking at, really. Yeah, and <laughs> is that, I guess, I, I think like some of the pretty the people shared the loudest on Twitter about Liverpool's ownership should be ignored. But I just, I looked at the net spend this summer and Liverpool were the fifth lowest net spend in the league. The caveats there would be they did like sign Luis Diaz in January. They obviously signed, re-signed Mo Salah on a big contract. But like, given how close Liverpool were for four trophies last season, given how the relatively low outlay in net spend the last five seasons under Klopp's tenure, is that really acceptable to kind of John even got a kind of a Yuri Tielman's type midfield? I kind of don't think it is. I think... I think, I think the argument there, I, I take your point about Tielman's, although I do think He's overrated a little, but that's another show. But I I think part of it comes from Klopp. I know Klopp showed some frustration about the market. This is my gut feeling. I don't know this, but this is my gut feeling. That he's very, very hot on Harvey Elliott and Carvalho. And I think his feeling is, and you can trace this back to Dortmund, because he was exactly the same at Dortmund. He was very keen not to block avenues for young players to develop. So it's that it's always that balance between, which is why I was surprised by Artur. But I think the reason he's brought Artur in is because they don't have somebody who can do what Thiago does in the sense of pop the passes around, control the tempo of the midfield and just keep the ball. Elliot won't do that. Carvalho won't do that. They're very attacking midfielders by nature, I suppose. But I I think it is that balance. Obviously, Liverpool fans would love the clubs to be chucking out, you know, £80 million signings here, there and everywhere. But I, I think Klopp does drag that back a little anyway by wanting to develop some of these young guys. I, I, I would definitely take that point. The only thing I would just say is I think there's a steep decline coming in terms of, I think Jordan Henderson's on the decline. I think James Milner, I don't think is a player you want to be relying on big games anymore. It's, it's more just those positions. And I would see, again, I think Harvey Elliott's a big, big talent, but like, I'm not sure you want to be playing Harvey Elliott 40 or 50 games a season at this point. I think he'd be a guy I'd rather want to impact so bro playing in the Cups and kind of developing a little bit more slowly. I just feel he's kind of, and Liverpool, just in the games I've watched recently, they're kind of relying on him for the creative spark, which I think is probably, is just too much. Again, Carvalho's numbers were superb for Fulham last season. Again, he's a player I like. I just think, Again, I'm not saying they should spend 80 million, but I think probably they could have done a bit more than getting Artur yeah. in on loan. That's 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 all I would say. And just could bring it bring it back to this game. I think the it's the, 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 Napoli have kind of a, de- a decent history history against Liverpool. Obviously, we know they're kind of this this, this all the cliched stadiums difficult place to go. But the reality, just on, a, on a, just on a, a, a simple level, Napoli have been one of the best teams in Serie A this season, and, and and Liverpool have struggled against any decent opposition that that can really hit them on the break. Napoli should do that, and I think the way I'd probably play it, the safer way to play it, if you backed, if you laid Liverpool in the exchange of close to evens, I think I think that's that's definitely a bit. But I wouldn't put anyone off from uh, from, from, from from taking the bigger swing and going for Napoli at at around eleven to four. And finally, just to a couple of the other games that Stinch has picked out. Stinch, let's start with Club Brugge against Bayer Leverkusen. We've kind of alluded to this earlier, but Bayer all over the place at the moment in terms of results. 
the performance data probably says otherwise. The weekend was probably a good example. And their midfielder, Robert Andrich, talked about this. He said, we played really well at times, but we got done on a, a weird goal and two set plays. And this is the kind of thing that happens to them because they're really fragile, I think, defensively. It's very, very difficult for them to get any kind of consistency because even if a team doesn't play particularly well against them, they've got a good chance of scoring. Yeah, I think they're struggling a little bit with um, missing personnel as well. Obviously, uh, Verts is out long term. Yeah, and massive. then it doesn't help when you're getting your two left backs sent off in the same game. So they're both suspended. You know, little little things like that. There's no no need for those sorts of things to be happening. So, but yeah, they've had a they've had a torrid start to the season. Lost five out of six, which included conceding four at a three league aside Elversburg in the the DFB Pokal. Um, so I, I'm, uh, I'm quite excited about this game because I've waited nine months to reback my uh, sustainable edge that's Hans Vanneken to score. And yes. he's a ma- I think he's, he's massive. Back. <laughs> I think he's like Club Brugge, uh, two to one to win here. So that and over two and a half goals is, is just four to nine. So that basically means that we're, we're ex- the market's expecting to see at least three goals and they're going to be fairly evenly shared. So Brugge are in for around about 1.5 goals. So the fact you can get Hans Vanneken at four to one, I just think, I think it's enormous. He scored 12 goals in his last 25 Champions League games. So that's and that's not qualifiers. That's Champions League like elite opposition. He scored v Man City. He scored v Leipzig, PSG, Real Madrid, Lazio twice. Like you know, this is these this is not farmers teams. Um, and his 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 ability to time his runs into the box is just fantastic. He averaged 1.8 shots per game inside the box last season in that ridiculously impossible group of City, PSG, and Leipzig. And yet he scored against all of them. Um, and he's probably on penalties as well. So I think. Hans Vanneken four to one massive and obviously you can back him in the other markets as well two plus 30 to one etc he looked as though he was going to go to West Ham at one stage and then the Club Brugge fans put up this massive banner saying please stay Hans and he said well I'm going to talk to West Ham and then I don't know what happened then and he ended up staying so uh, he signed a new contract and I think that's a great bet and finally Stinch Porto Atletico that was a great battle last season involving a fair degree of violence, as I seem to remember. So I, I wonder say, if that's the route you're taking. I was going to say battle is uh, is quite kind, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a little bit more than that. Uh, yeah, there's no there's no card markets at the moment, so I can't really suggest anything there. But uh, there was uh, just... Uh, well, actually, how many cards do you think were in combined were in the two games last season? Oh, well, the, the, the second one was crazy. So... I reckon I'm going to go 14 across the two games. Yeah, nice guess. 16. Okay. And and that included three red cards as well. And actually, there was an additional red card for a substitute, which doesn't actually count if you were betting. But yeah, you could argue that it was 17 cards, including four reds. So yeah, I don't think they like each other. Um, But arguably, this is going to be the the hardest match in the group for both teams. So I'm expecting, again, after obviously the feistiness last season, that neither wants to give absolutely anything away at all. Uh, You know, you could imagine they'd be annoyed if they give away a corner or something like that, just as the annoyance there is between the two teams. Um, 
And it actually finished 0 0 here last season. That was also the opening group game. And because I think uh, Leverkusen and Brugge are obviously going to be the games that they are probably focused on getting three points from, I don't think either team will be unhappy if they were to walk away with a point here. So I do think they will both just try and keep it quite tight. And it's kind of reflected in the price. I mean, under two and a half goals is just 1.6 on the sports book. So I was looking at both teams to score around about 1.85 on the exchange. Both teams score no. Um, And it's a bet that's won in 12 of Letico's last 17 games, which is 71%. And it's also won in 14 of Porto's last 19, which is 74% there. Um, And it's no surprise, really. You know, these two teams are both very strong defensively. And I think, yes, I think it would be a a cagey game. Uh, So I just thought that maybe, I think we've, Put up a lot of bets this week, but if you, you know, if you fancied, if you fancied watching that game and you wanted something additional to cheer on, I think both teams score. No, is the is the way to go if you if you didn't fancy under two and a half at a much shorter price. I'll tell you one person who's watching that game, Mark O'Hare. That's kind of his perfect game, really. I would think two teams that uh, do like a bit of violence here and there. That's all we have time for on this special Champions League edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. We've got previews of every Champions League game in some way, shape or form on our website, betting.betfair.com. We'll be back later in the week for two more editions of Football Only Better as we preview the weekend's action in the Premier League and beyond. So from Mark, from Stinch, from Emmett and from me, it's goodbye for now.